Welcome, listeners. I'm Miles Taylor, your host and the creator behind the Unspoken of Wall Street podcast. Join me as I sit down with remarkable minority leaders in the business world, peeling back the layers to discover the keys to their success in the fiercely competitive landscape. So lean in and savor the stories that often go untold. Enjoy. In this episode, Patrick Johnson shares his path from choosing to attend Fish University, making a name for himself in the powerful Washington, D.C. market, raising $5 billion directly from the government, starting his own healthcare company, and becoming a prominent angel investor. Learn what Patrick has to say about developing a network and the key elements he recommends for becoming successful. Enjoy. Ready? Ready, All right, Patrick, I think it'd be good if you can, listeners, just a quick summary of your bio. Ah, uh, quick. No, well, Jesus, that's the hardest thing for me to ever do <laughs> uh, is to talk about myself. I am a native. Uh, actually, I'm rocking my Nashville gear today. Nashville. <laughs> uh, it's Saturday. It's rare. Uh, so you're a Nashville native these days. <laughs> yeah. And so um, raised and educated in uh, Middle Tennessee went to college at Fisk University and then um, moved to Washington, D.C., where I say I grew up professionally um, and lived there for many years and, you know, kind of adjusted myself. I bopped up and down the East Coast for a while, lived in Atlanta and made myself my way back here. And over that journey, um, I have uh, early on in my career, started a couple businesses mm-hmm. uh, with the desire to start businesses, but not really understanding what it takes to to grow in a business. So it was and lucky for me over the course of my career, I've been able to bounce in between entrepreneurship mm-hmm. and having um, great jobs in uh, larger organizations that taught me skills that I needed to continue to be successful and grow further. So Mm -hmm. I have worked for um, as business development for telecom companies on the East Coast. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have um, in in that role, I've worked with both state, local and federal government. Um, I've dabbled in politics. Anyone who lives in Washington, D.C. has to deal with the federal government and politics if you're going to be in business it's just just no way around it you you have to learn that skill set and do it um i have worked for Harry medical college on the healthcare sector which gave me 10 years of, of time um five five years each time i'm doing this because mm-hmm. there's a gap in between those two five yeah. years but to really understand healthcare and higher education at its business level and uh, i have been um, a consultant for one of the largest nonprofit management firms in the country. Uh, and in that role, really, um, what I did there is, is something that's, that, that we called, um, I'm blanking on, on it right now, but uh, interim uh, management, where when a CEO, mm-hmm. executive vice president leaves an organization, I would come in and replace that role while there was an executive search. Um, and so I've had the pleasure of having to operate at a high level, yeah. multiple 
industries that, you know, multiple businesses that are in complete different industries. And then in the interim, um, I uh, founded and started a company Recover Health several mm-hmm. years ago in the healthcare uh, space, obviously. And it, mm-hmm. it has done extremely well. To close out, I'm, I'm giving you a very, you know, that's great. Bio. This is good. I have um, learned over time how to, you know, strengthen, strengthen myself financially yeah. uh, with investing and how do you leverage yourself to make sure you're getting promoted on time if you're working for someone. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have your own business, how do you grow that in a manner so that there is additional revenue that you can actually realize? Mm-hmm. And then from an investor, understanding what it takes to become an investor, mm-hmm. not only in yourself, but then you begin to to, to invest to help other yeah. businesses grow and what it looks like to be on a cap table with another business, what it mm-hmm. looks like to be on it and exit with another business, et cetera. Um, so I mean, sure. that's great. That's great. Well, let's, let's, let's go all the way back. Why go to Fisk? You know, why not go anywhere where else? This is interesting <laughs> to me. Yeah. Um, Fisk was unique. So my, so when I came out of high school, I actually went in the national guard because I didn't quite know what I was going to do. Um, I thought I was going to go to Tennessee state university local. To be honest, I really didn't have a desire to go to college. Let me be honest about that. I just didn't know what I was going to do. I was, I was thinking for, get a job somewhere miles you know I, I come from a family historically um you know agriculturalist right my great-grandfather mm-hmm. you know entrepreneur himself but at the time I didn't realize it he, he was a farmer he was a never was a sharecropper and yeah. so children um my grandparents all had their own farms and 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 yeah etc and my parents they all decided that they would either go in the military or they would get jobs at manufacturing plants right yeah like yeah. so there was nobody pushing college because it just wasn't the way it was um so i was toying back and forth I, uh, I didn't know if i wanted to make a career in the military so i joined the national guard and while you're away on 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 training and you know it was a long training and I decided to come back and I kicked it around but my father had remarried uh when I was in high school Mm -hmm. and the lady that he married um everyone in her family um went to college she came from the exact opposite right and most of them had gone to Fisk and so when when I did decide three years after I graduated that I wanted to um, uh, go to college. She asked me to look at Fisk and I, I did. And, um, because she went there, her father was Dean there, et cetera. I ended up at Fisk. Uh, and and I thought it was a great decision. And did you meet anyone at Fisk? Were you doing internships? Just kind of walk me through your goal at Fisk, what were your first thoughts? What did you want to get out of it? Was Man, it one of the truth? No, I mean that there was no, I did have an internship with, with Northern Telecom at the time. It's a Canadian bell company back then. AT&T did not own all the telecoms, right? So yeah. every region had its own telecom uh, company. So I, I interned there 
in that um, I thought I wanted to go to law school. So I just did what, you know, pass the required coursework. You take your LSAT, you apply, you, 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 you get into law school. Uh, that was just the model of what you did. And I thought that's what I wanted to do because uh, I knew I wasn't going to be able to go to medical school. It was, it was, I just had the, the traditional college experience. And I think what happened for me around junior year, going into my senior year, mm-hmm. began to have a little more in what I personally believed I wanted to do. Like, right. I, I always remember wanting to have a lot of money and yeah. wanting to, um, I knew that business was the way that you were going to have to 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 get money because I wasn't yeah. an entertainer. I wasn't an athlete. Right. So <laughs> like, OK, so I'm going to have to earn this like yeah. real money, not not a high salary. And my senior year kind of decided to open up. You're probably too young. You're definitely too young to remember this. I opened up a, a, a pager company, store. I don't want to call it that. You said a pager company? Yeah. So I did that. Um, you know, tried to get that off the ground about a year or so. Mm-hmm. Um, it was extra money. Yeah. I still have a job, you know, yeah. uh, and do that. But at the same time, the cell phones were becoming affordable and people could, could get them. So yeah, I, I, I didn't understand markets. So I didn't realize that the cell phone industry was going to cannibalize the pager industry. Right. Um, so but that was my first four-way in the business. And there was there was a guy by the name of Dr. Bobby Austin, mm-hmm. who was a Fisk graduate from the early 70s. Yeah. And I met him by chance. Mm-hmm. He was a fraternity brother. His kids went to Fisk with me. Mm-hmm. Um, his son pledged the same fraternity as I pledged. And him and um he offered me a chance to come work for him in Washington, D.C. And he said it would change your life. Uh, Not working for him in the company, but what he was doing was investing in a younger person to say, if I give you exposure to, most people don't have exposure to, it will help catapult you and where you're going to go. And that was true. It it was his um, investment in in me as a person that convinced me to go to Washington, D.C., Um, He paid me well, um, but he exposed me to people that I would only read about or see about, see on TV. Um, And I began to learn from those individuals. And then I began to meet other people like myself who were budding and and, and moving in a a town that was (laughs) a lot more fast paced and and, and that. So that was the big change for me was, yes, going to Fisk University, um, you know, a, a, so there's this I'm, I'm gonna just come to the side here for a second digress yeah. I'm sorry um, you got it you know do you go to you know a PWI institution or HBCUs important you know obviously Ivy Leagues are phenomenal institutions mm-hmm. or tier one colleges yeah. uh, just as far as network and nurturing and things like that it's a little different in, in, in a day and age where the internet pl- is can 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 level the playing field. Right. You can get the same education at Harvard that you can get with at Middle Tennessee State University. Right. Like decades ago, it used to be 
had the biggest library, what professors <laughs> that like, you know, yeah. now I can take a class with somebody at Stanford sitting in my living room who yeah. I normally in 1982, you wouldn't have had access to unless you went to Stanford. Exactly. Right? Yep. So yep. playing field has changed, but, and things like that are important. And the one thing that I have grown to really appreciate was small HBCU experience um, creates for Black people, Ivy League experience, because you have some of the most accomplished people that we know who went to Black schools. Yeah. Uh, look out and treat that network the same way that the Ivy Leagues treat their own network. And and Dr. Austin was, that was a long way of saying, and I began to meet other people like him, other people that, that, that were like me in Washington, D.C. Yeah, no, that's great. That's awesome. And then back to D.C., like when you first get there, you know, what are you thinking? What is your motivation? What are you trying to get out of it? Are you just, you just jump right into it? Lost kid there. Man. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I'm just a kid Yeah. with a, with a new job that pays me what I think is a ton of money. Um, and you know, you're, you're, you're going to happy hour and you're hanging out, but, but you're, you're trying to meet people and, and make friends. And you know, you're so anxious when you're young to grow. You're, you're just like, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to be great. I want, and you don't realize it just takes time and experience. Yeah. Um, and your thing you do is a, a networking opportunity and you're trying to, this person's business card, you know, I was that, that yeah. about this kid and and began to change me as mentors began to bring me in the room as you know the young kid yeah. you know sitting on the back of the wall and you're, you're learning what to say and what not to say and yeah. you know um being mentored by again people that I would only see you know, TV, you know and how'd you, you earn that respect you know you 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 do the work so so here's the thing you know, the downside to being mentored is you do all the grunt work for someone who's like, look, I need you to do research on this. I need you to put this paper together. I need you to, you know, X, Y, and Z. That's your job. Um, and you get good at it, right? You, you, at the time now it's, you know, I don't know it's emails or at the time, you know, Email was a a funny thing. Older cats just didn't want to buy into the technology. Kind of like if you were old and you didn't want to buy into Zoom pre-pandemic, right? Exactly. Yeah. No, we got to have a meeting in person, yada, yada. It used to be, don't send an email, write a letter, you know? And so wow. you would have draft letters for your <laughs> boss and, you know, they'd edit it and go, no, that's not how I would say it. That's not my voice. And you're like, well, damn, type it yourself if you, you know, and then you go back and you type it. But what they were doing was teaching you how to communicate. Right. Um, written communication was extremely important. So being good at that, being good at research, you know, if there was a project that making sure that, you know, you delivered ahead of time of when they needed it. I didn't know at the time when you're younger, but that's because if there's something wrong with it, you got time and buffer to yeah. fix it versus if they're like, I need it on Tuesday and you give it them on Tuesday and it's half-assed, Yeah, everybody's scrambling to get it done versus if you give it to them Friday or, or early Monday morning and it's half-assed, it's like, nah, you got to go back and fix this. You know, you got, got a, a day. So, um, you know, the, the most important thing is being so prepared within the scope of what I could prepare for. Right. That 
when asked a question, my answer brought value. Even if it's the most insignificant piece on the whole project, the fact that when it's time, Patrick, you know, should we, you know, go meet with this person when we're on the the New York trip? And I say, um, you know, this might be something with the UN or something real important that I have nothing to do with. But my job is to say what hotel we should be in. I'm making this up off the fly right now. I would have researched five hotels and said, we should stay at this hotel. Mm-hmm. Here's the reason why we're not staying at the other hotels. It's going to be an inconvenience for you. It's going to be an inconvenience for this person. This works, work, work. And they're like, great. We didn't have, it was yeah. value add to what we do. Now it wasn't the main. <clears throat> shit, yeah. Right? When you do that, well, then they give me another bigger piece to say, well, okay, he right. keeps delivering on the minute stuff. Mm-hmm. As it moves up, then I get better and I learn and I have experience on yeah. things like that. And do those practices still stand, right? What you do is extremely important. Whatever the task is that you're responsible for, proficient yeah. at that, um, that's important. And that will get you um, <clears throat> a long way. I expect that for anyone who works for me. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever it is that I ask you to do, just be damn good at that. Yeah. Uh, that's more important than being half ass at what you believe are bigger and more important things. Yeah. Whatever you're handing me is garbage. If you if if you're half ass <laughs> at it, I don't care if it's the most important thing. It's not yeah. it's it's not ready. It's not good. But if the least important thing, but it is part of the process, you give it to me and it's excellent and I don't have to worry that it it, it man, you're so valuable to the team at that point because I can trust you. You play football, right? Yeah. I don't care what everybody's looking at on the field. They're looking at either the running back, the quarterback, or the receivers, right? Right. Uh, On the defense, they're looking at the linebacker. The coach is looking at all 11 players on on, on offense. He's like, look, that right guard doesn't do their job. (laughs) It's going to be... Tire play is done. Blown play, right? It's... Your job as that guard is to do X, Y, and Z. And that is so appreciated. And there are a lot of people who have had phenomenal careers because they're very good at their job, even though it's not the most visible or most important. For for me, I learned that early. Um, uh, I I then began to learn to dream uh, and to go out my dreams or whatever it is that I wanted because- There's this catch 22, like as you get better at what you do and you become valuable to mm-hmm. entity and organization. Yeah. Those entities are greedy by nature, right? Like if you're good at what you do, I don't want you to leave my company. I want you to keep doing what you do for me. Right. Right. Um, and at many times that stifles the dream of most people, right? Because yeah. If there's a trajectory from employee to CEO, only one person is going to be the CEO. Right. Right. And then maybe four are going to be executive vice presidents. And then you'll have or or one or two will be executive vice presidents. And then maybe four will be senior vice presidents. And, you know, if six people want to be the CEO, they're not all going to become CEOs there. So you have to say, okay, when do I leave? When do I go somewhere else where there's better opportunity? When do I create my own opportunity for whatever it is I want? Because for some people, eventually in an order, 
isn't going to satisfy whatever their overall life goals are going to be. Yeah. Right. And, and many times suppress those things. Right. Um, because we're comfortable in the job and we're good and we get great accolades. Right. Yeah. But you really want to go, I want more for me. I want more for my family. Mm-hmm. And I had to learn that every time I realized that I was no longer moving in the direction of the more for my family, I needed to move and do something to keep moving in that direction. But me being great at what I help someone else <clears throat> fulfill their dreams, right. with what they're trying to accomplish with their family. Uh, you, you follow what I'm saying? Does that yeah, make sense? no, that all makes sense. Going back, uh, actually going back to DC, when did you have that realization, right? You meet a group of people who inspires you to make that switch and just go this entrepreneurial route and just eventually essentially take your career off. Like I have a group of, 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 of friends um, that we all kind of came there together yeah. and we pushed and motivated each other. And we've been doing that for 20 plus years. Um, and so I've been lucky because yeah. I know a lot of people and I, you know, I have meetings with people who want to pick my brain or, mm-hmm. you know, ask my assistance of things. And they don't have that. Like it, it took me a long time mm-hmm. to realize that not every, I thought everybody had a crew of people that pushed each other and supported each other yeah. and, 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 and helped. Um, but that's not the case. Um, you know, you might have one or two people, but I have like, it's a crew of eight of us, right? Like it, that, that's a lot of, yeah, that's a lot. That's a, yeah. It's a pack. Um, who have very similar, you know, drives and ambitions and, and, and have been able to be with, with each other from, you know, a young age to getting married, to having children to like, like there, that's a journey. Yeah. And that was it. Um, And eventually it's kind of what I alluded to. You you have people who in the crew who were like spun out and started their own companies or firms or, or whatever. Some moved up to the higher executive Mm -hmm. suite. That's just constant motivation. You know, one of the things I say is I try to always be dumbest person in the room. That means I'm in a room where I get to learn. Right. right. Like if if I'm not the smartest person in the room, I'm gaining from everybody that's in that room something yeah. they're, they're, they're helping me become a better. Once I am the smartest person in that room, there's nothing I can learn. Like if I hang out yeah. with a bunch of recent college grads, I am the smartest person in the room. I can <laughs> that I can guarantee you. Right? <laughs> uh, but it's nothing that I look now. They'll learn a lot from me. Yeah. But then. I'm not learning anything and I'm getting duller and I'm not getting sharp. So I got to move to somebody to a room of people who are doing things that I have yet to do. I'm, I'm qualified to be in that room, but I'm not as everyone in that room. And do you all still meet pretty regularly? We hang out regularly. We meet, um, we, we, I was just in Washington DC a couple of weeks ago. We throw this, a party every year during the congressional black caucus. It's oh wow! Party, Dang. um, it, it's we we, it's free, free food, free alcohol, great DJ, but it's it's a invite only list of yeah. you know everybody thinks they're important to come to this thing. So I just yeah. you know I'm not knocking. We'd love the people that come there, but it's it, it's a bunch of people who are, you know, we we meet 
to that officially. And then after that, we have the day after we have official dinner because all of, we don't all live in DC anymore. Obviously we live in mm -hmm. many different places and we, uh, we break bread together and it's an all night dinner, just us wow. uh, to help each other with whatever we're dealing with in, in, in life personally. Uh, and it's kind of a wellness check with each other. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and that that's set in stone every single year we do that. And then, you know, a couple times a year, sometimes three, we go on vacation together. Uh, and those are built around um, business strategy, mm -hmm. you know, uh, yeah. and what opportunities. It went from helping each other in careers to helping each other in business to now at, at this stage of our lives, it's it's deal flow. It's, hey, I got this opportunity or I got that opportunity. Do you want to invest in this or I'm going to invest in something over here. It might be of interest to you. You know, I can introduce you to these people, et cetera. You stress the importance of finding a group of people like this to ultimately help you motivate and, you know, get you to that next level. I'm going to say, yeah, because that's worked for me and that's been my experience. Now, I, yeah. I know successful people whether they're entrepreneurs or very successful in the corp, whatever yeah. industry they're in, right? Yeah. Um, done it, I won't say by themselves, but they don't have a group of people. They might have a couple mentors that have yeah. helped them. Um, and, you know, some of them based on what they do have been successful because of the service or the product that they, they are well. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think the people that I have seen, that's why I'm saying yeah, some, some group, I don't care if it's three yeah. or four of them, yeah. because in any journey are true peaks and valleys. Like, I don't care how successful you are. You are going to fall on your ass. Yeah. You know, you are going to have period where you lose it all. <clears throat> and that's probably the most rewarding period because you learn so much. Yeah. So that you can build at the next, if you're, if you're strong enough to get to getting off the ground and, 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 and starting all over. And that's where that group comes in. Right. Right. In my experiences, that group is not when you're on the rise and mm -hmm. everybody's, you know, having a good time and sharing deal flow and, 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 yeah. and all these other things. When you're just down and out and you don't know what to do, that. It's it's that that cohort of people that nurture you, that motivate you, that that mm -hmm. give you a kick in the butt, that that you trust. They can say, "No, you're not here because somebody else did something wrong to you. <laughs> you messed up. Yeah, you knew you were wrong. You should have done X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And, and now that we've got that out of the way, now we're gonna help you get back up. Yeah." Uh, Cause there are ups and downs and, and I have right. found having that not sitting around the dorm room, like, Oh, we're going to all be great and help each other out. That's important. But mm -hmm. that group becomes most important. You know, you take off, but your buddy next to you is still struggling. And everyone's like, dude, when your time comes, it's going to come. Don't worry about it. Like don't judge yourself because miles got the good job first. Yeah. Yours is going to come or don't judge yourself because such and such got out of grad school before you and you mm -hmm. you're kind of trying to figure it out or you lost your job that's okay you're going to get back like 
that group helps you realize that it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And the objective is for everyone to finish the marathon. Like it's so, yes, I'm giving you a long winded way of, I could talk about the power of how important kind of cohort is uh, in your sanity. And that sanity helps you yourself find you and your purpose. And when you find you and your purpose, it's easy to do business. Mm-hmm. It's harder to be, if you don't have purpose and you don't have ethics, just doing something for from a selfish position. Yeah. Not going to be successful. I'm sorry. You're just not, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, you can pretend to be, but you won't be truly successful. Right. Yeah. It sounds like just like enjoying the journey is what I'm hearing. Yeah. This is great. Yeah. All right, let's move on. So, Meharry, tell me, how'd you get to Meharry? Were you chief strategy officer or fundraising? Or Yeah, I was chief strategy officer for okay, me. Yeah. Can you talk uh, about how'd you, how'd you end up there? I went to Meharry early before that, um, this most recent time. Um, Meharry had a new president. Yeah. Uh, Dr. James Hildreth was coming in. I'd worked there before. We knew each other. And he had this vision of really growing Harry's footprint and doing some things that Harry had never done before in a very short period of time and reached out to me, said, would I be interested? And I was at a point where um, I was doing extremely well at Campbell and Company. I love the job, but I was probably about to spin out and start my own firm. Mm-hmm. Having, I was on vacation with um, my crew and we were discussing kind of what the next two, three years were going to look like or five years or something like that. And I had a couple of things I could I wanted to do my own firm, but I knew healthcare was was a great business, and there were a lot of opportunities in healthcare that things that weren't being addressed. And you know, could I get into that? You know, I don't want to waste your time, but that was no two things sure. that were on my mind. And when the call came from a hearing, I realized that I could partner with the new president that I liked. I could build out the strategy of where the school was going to go and how it was going to operate and, and, and all of these things and what its impact on healthcare was going to be in um, underrepresented uh, populations, definitely underserved medically populations. Um, and so gave me the opportunity to be kind of face of the institution. Yeah. Um, you know, meeting with all the power players in the city uh, about the role that it played and 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 gave me a front seat um, in building relationships uh, in the area so that when I was able to spin out and start my own company, that was a lot easier. Yeah. Um, I loved it. It was a, a great experience. You know, the hardest thing is, is populations that everyone needs and has nothing to do with color like underserved populations could be rural it could be dense urban populations it could be undereducated populations it could be you know just people who don't have access to something right east tennessee is an underserved population yep and providing health care for those people or access to health care in the right way is truly important but it's difficult because you know Mm -hmm. you know in rural areas you just can't put a clinic on every corner. They can't survive. All hospitals don't survive in there. Like there's a business model that makes it difficult. So yeah. I learned a lot of that at Meharry over 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 my my tenure working with them, and mm-hmm. it allowed me to build models that that I think work for me. Gotcha. Um, and were you raising money for them? 
Yeah. And then yeah. I fell on, I, I did communications and marketing. Uh, un, 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 the divisions fell under me, right? Yeah. And, 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 and raising money, institutional advancement fell under me. Uh, and government affairs uh, at the federal level, external affairs at the federal level fell under me. Wow. And then, because I know you're raising money. I think I heard you talk about this somewhere. You were a Trump administration. You had like a weekly call with them raising money. Or yeah. So, like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that, that money involved, but that wasn't about raising money. That was, so when COVID hit, um, we were very, city of Nashville was very important in figuring out how to approach a solution to this pandemic. Yeah. Um, and Dr. Hildreth being a, a, a world renowned was part of that. And one of the things that I did because external affairs fell under my, my purview was to an opportunity for him to present to um, the Ways and Means Committee, mm-hmm. uh, kind of an approach to dealing with pandemics in the future. <laughs> and at the same time, we did the same thing for the White House, which was president at the time. Yeah. And as we were working through this, um, we would have a biweekly call yeah. uh, with the Trump administration uh, at the White House. Um, this went on for about 90 days. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to say it was a set biweekly, but obviously you'd have calls with staff in between. But it was the White House trying to figure out its solution of what it wanted to do. And you had Congress that wanted to do that. But in between, one of the things, and not to bore you, populations were disproportionately affected um, by this outbreak for a myriad of reasons, not genetically, but a myriad of social reasons. What we realized is that there are four main medical <clears throat> schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, and had they been supported and funded for, re- and Duke and Hopkins have been done for decades, Yeah, right? they would be in a position to have answered, have answers to the solutions that people were looking for during a global pandemic. Um, and we said, look, why don't you start helping fund these institutions for research at the same level that you do all of these? And we came up with a number and it was a calculator. It wasn't a random number. It was $5 billion that the federal government would invest $5 billion in these yeah. four schools. And the Trump administration understood that and, and said, no, this this makes sense. Um, Congress said it understood that it makes sense. The number's just too high. And yeah. so- here we are. This is during pandemic. You look at today, not to bore you, and, and I don't work for Meharry anymore, but Congress, you know, to the tune of billions of dollars, began to invest in uh, HBCUs, not just the four medical schools, but there are other mm-hmm. that have healthcare programs, yeah. uh, you know, pharmacy schools and, and, and some other things. There, there are about eight or nine schools, maybe, that, that have an impact on health care. Yeah. Um, they're being funded significantly and there's conversation right now um, on the four really being, you know, funded at the level that, that, that we asked for with research. And there's, there's a lot behind the scenes of infrastructure and things that have got to go in to do that. But yeah, that was a, uh, yeah. it's a, you know, not putting a political hat on just, just looking at how the government works. And I always say the white house Trump happened to be president, yeah. but you have to, realize that the White House is an, is an entity that belongs to the American people and the government. And it has a responsibility, re- regardless of where you land on your politics, 
Yeah. There are certain things that that don't land on political levels, regardless of how, what you see when you turn on the television. Exactly. That those institutions still have to do things to make the country run. Right. And, you know, whatever you might think of, you know, the former President Trump. And we all have a lot of things that we don't positively think about him at all. White House, regardless of who was sitting in the Oval Office, the White House was like, this is something we got to get done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And was that your call? The five billion? I'm trying to figure out. Yeah, that was my call. Listen, at the time, I think schools were being funded by the federal government, like $300 million for all HBCUs or something like that. And And that's an aggregate, like 300 million? Aggregate, yeah. Wow. And um, they had never given any money the way that we were requesting. We, a consortium of the four black medical schools, um, you know, $5 billion between them. I figured if you're giving them nothing, basically. Yes, yes, not a lot. Uh, and you ask for $5 billion, they're going to say, hell no, I'm not giving you $5 billion. Where the hell did you come up with that? Like, that that makes no sense. I'm not doing it, right? They might not say that publicly, but behind closed doors, like, what the happens is number is so outrageous to them. By the time everyone says, I'm not going to do it, this is crazy, why are you asking for this? You begin to say, okay, I see your point. I see your point. I see your point, but I can't give you five. I can give you 1 billion or 2 billion. Yeah. That's more than you were ever going to get. If you would have asked for 500 million, they're going to be like, no, I can't do it, but I give you a hundred million. Yeah. Right. Like it's, exactly. it's, 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 yep. so you ask for such a large piece that when they say, but the, but is far more than you ever expected to begin with. And 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 that's where we ended up, right? You know, and and then to show you how it changed, there were. Um, I can only speak for Meharry, and I think it's similar to the other schools. I'm familiar with them. But you had principal investigators who would write grants to NIH and and places like this, federally funded uh, departments that give to all these medical schools and colleges millions and millions and millions of dollars a year for each. Tennessee Tech, you know, like they all get NIH money for when you apply for things with NIH to do research. And Harry, same professors would, would, would say, I want to do this in my lab or I want to do this study around cancer and I'm blah, blah, blah. And they would get $300,000, $400,000 NIH grants or $1 million, $2 million NIH grants. I think the largest ever was like $20 million. And wow. it was a huge grant. It should have been funded at $250 million. And after we went and asked for $5 billion, within four months... Zero started being added to the same principal investigators that did it before. So now wow. a principal investigator that would submit something <clears throat> that would ask for three million dollars and would get like five hundred dollar, you know, yeah. grant. They would never give them the three million that they asked for. All of a sudden it was three million dollars. Wow. All of a sudden, somebody who submitted something would get so it went from it was, it's like tenfold of 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 what you were getting before. And but that was the point I was proving is we put ourselves on the map in the room. We demanded more. It was outrageous enough that eventually somebody looked down and was like, shit, Meharry came in here and asked me for five billion dollars. Don't they, you know, grant money when they do. And it's like, yeah. And it's like, why are you giving them three hundred thousand dollars? And they ask you for three million. You know, all of a sudden, the three million dollar request started being answered. Right. That's that story.
Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Cause I, uh, I worked a couple of years in consulting and we worked a lot with health systems, hospitals and, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, 300 million. That does not get it now that yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. bad. Yeah. yeah. So, exactly. And during this time, is this when you started recover health? Yeah. Okay. Can you talk recovery. a little more about that? Like- um, recover health was started out of, um, a need the city had, the country had, but we were doing it for Middle Tennessee. Was the time? God, it's been a while, so it's hard to imagine. But it was locked down, and still needed groceries, and we still needed. And and so during the lockdown, you were allowed if you were a critical services industry to provide services. So you didn't have to stay home, but you know you you went to the if you worked at a grocery store, you could go work at the grocery store and you know, pay to get your groceries delivered, but somebody had to be at the grocery store for groceries to be there. Right. Someone had to be at the, at the, at the, at the, you know, healthcare clinic, yada, yada, yada. And then restaurants you could do to go orders or drive through, but somebody had to come and work, but you had to be cleared with. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And at the time, you know, you'd go through a drive, a public testing center and it would take five days to get your test results back yeah that doesn't help you if you're trying to go to work on monday yeah right and they won't let you in unless you got a clear test right Right. this is at the height of it you know getting a company a private hospital to allow you to come in and be tested they weren't gonna let you come in and be tested three or four times they didn't have the the Mm -hmm. staff to do that so the mass testing centers that you would see were great they were free i mean the federal government paid for them but but yeah, um, you know, you'd have to wait days to get it. And so me and my business partner came up with the idea. Well, I came up with the idea and I mean, I'm a business partner, but it was my idea <laughs> um, that what if we can use our resources, get someone tested and get the results back the next day or 48 hours at the most, right? Cut wow. it a third or two thirds. We were able to do it within 48 hours, and then we got it down to within six hours. That's a long conversation. But the point, yeah. we're the only people who could do it. So then we became a viable commodity to the hospitality industry. Mm-hmm. So people now could say, I can bring people to work. They're going to go to Recover Health or more so. We had to start going and setting up shop at these restaurants and hotels. Mm-hmm. Recover Health will send a, a team in here. They will test every. We'll get their tests back by the next morning so you can come to work and work and every three days we will test you yep. and if you pop positive you got to get out of here you can't come in because you can't uh, in- infect the whole team and so that's what we did and that's how the company got started but it was basically COVID testing uh, right. where we came to you and then that went from the hospitality industry to the entertainment industry because yep. on the road but they could record videos and they could you know go on on TV shows mm-hmm. um, if everybody was COVID clear and you could watch, you know, your favorite star on TV because yeah. uh, you couldn't go anywhere to see anything. And so we be- began a giant in that industry. People started following and doing it in different places, but we were kind of one of the first to ever do it. If yeah. I, I don't think, I think we were the first. Um, and then we created mobile apps around it. So you come in and <clears throat> you do the thing on your phone um, oh dang! That was... As soon as you <laughs> took your test, uh, we'd load it in the system, 
we created an app and it would yeah. say positive or negative, And this is good for four days, five days. And they could go to their employer and show. And then it just began to scale from there. Yeah. Uh, we did a lot of private concierge, you know, people with money that would be like, I want to throw a birthday party for my kid. You yeah. know, I have a hundred people over to my house, but I need everybody to be cleared. Can you come right. out and we would do it for free. Right. Um, so we did that. I mean, now we, we changed the name to, to refine health and we do it different. Uh, I mean, cause it was COVID based, you know, recover yeah. COV in the middle, you know, that, I realized, realized you had to CEO capital. Yeah. So, yeah. Eventually it, uh, yeah. it, it, it yeah. runs its course of um, what you do and we do disease state management and, and things like that now. So. Got you. And then when is your, so your thesis has changed since COVID I'm assuming. Yes. Yeah. And when did y'all make that switch? Was that within a year ago? It was a little over a year ago now. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it was just a natural extension of what what, what you do, right? Right. Um, You you can get tests, you know, a year and a half ago, you could start getting tests at your Walgreens. Like you didn't need a testing. There were still places that that came to us because they were like, no, we need the gold standard (laughs) test. We're not trusting antibody. Uh, 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 antigen tests. We need an antibiotic test and yada, yada, yada. But that had began to just narrow. And we were like, we're moving into a different space. Uh, so that was a little over a year ago. Gotcha. Awesome. It was a great run. It was, it was, it was value add to the community. Right. We made a huge impact uh, in the community. I thought it was, you know, I'm proud of what we did, you know, over that, that time period and, and a lot of lives that we impacted. Um, so. Yeah, no, that's great. And I, I imagine the entertainment industry, that was really good. Oh, man, the of stories we can't do on the zoom, but like that. Yeah. Those clients were. Yeah. yeah. All right. I want to move on talk about, you know, some of your investments. I know you're in a fund or two. What are you invested in? You know, I'm saying if you can, you know. Yeah, um, I'm I'm in several funds. I'm an LP in several funds. Uh, I'm a GP in 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 one fund um, that um, started to um, make a, an early and significant investment in Uncle Nearest um, mm-hmm. Spirits brand. Um, that is phenomenal. I mean, God, I, I look at what bond of the uh the co-founder of the brand she has done she's now truly has built what i would believe here we could call an empire or a budding empire uh you know trying to build a spirits conglomerate company that does extremely well mm-hmm. uh, and it's only six years old so um who would ever thought you know yeah uh, that a black owned uh, spirits brand would now rival what Casamigos or any one of those tequila brands that people see on TV all the time, Patron, like they're that level now. And they're wow. still, they haven't been bought out yet. And and I don't think plan on being bought out. I don't know. An investor, you do want an exit, <laughs> uh, but um, a lot of pride and in, 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 some of them are just investments that make money uh, or designed to make money. But the number one that I absolutely love that I'm invested in, um, you know, that I think we'll do 200 million this year. Um, wow. uh, and you know, that, that puts you at over a billion dollar valuation. Right. Um, the, um, 
other than an LP in is a fund called Jumpstart Nova, mm-hmm. which is um, it's a black owned um, VC fund. Mm-hmm. Uh, gentleman by the name of Marcus Whitney mm-hmm. uh, founded that. And it it is designed to invest in minority owned, specifically black, but not exclusively, but specifically yeah. black uh, startups in the healthcare space that are and I thought that was a bold move for him to do and um, definitely invested in that fund. And mm-hmm. and it seems to be tracking and doing well. You know, yeah. I, I don't know where the fund will close. Fingers crossed that it closed well <laughs> on Texas when, when, yeah. when it's over. But um, that one is just, that's a passion one that I like. I mean, yeah. but it's, it's also it, it, well, the, the, the rest, whether it's in, in, in other spirits like bourbon and um, you know, I've invested in in one that didn't do well, but I thought it was gonna do well, which was uh like a version Tesla cars, EVs. Um it it um but you know, you win some, you lose some. Yeah. Um you know what I found is that earlier you get into flow presented to you just so you can learn what deal flow looks like yeah um whether you have money to invest in it or not um the more that you begin to see pitches and you begin to learn how people invest and 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 how they make capital how they make money uh leveraging the capital that they have um you can't start that i wish i would have known what that looked like Mm -hmm. you know I wish the world was flat when I was 20 something, right? The, where that technology made it easy for me to talk to someone every single day in Seattle yeah, or oh, yeah. Washington or Silicon Valley. When, when I was 25, you had to get on a plane and know somebody and like, like, you know, everybody didn't have a cell phone when I was, you know, 25, everybody, the internet was just the internet. There were no websites and, yeah. and, and, uh, so this technology, broadband didn't exist. Like video conferencing didn't, did, you couldn't talk to somebody on a, computers didn't have cameras. Like, like you know, that's how fast technology has changed. I would say for anyone who's younger now, go listen to pitches mm-hmm. from the people who need the money, the startups, which is people you're generally your age, right? They're, they got a business idea and they're, they're trying to, pitch it to somebody to invest in their idea, but listen to how the people who invest in them, the questions that they ask and what are the, what do those term sheets look like? Like how do they you know, position themselves either on the cap table or as an LP in a fund or mm-hmm. like, look at all of the things, learn it inside and out. The sooner you learn it, the easier it is for you to participate when you finally do have capital that you can put risk to make money right like, and start learning that right now yeah for sure, sure. And, and and that's important more yeah. so than the deal you know there's always going to be something that pops up on social media did you know such and such invested early in you know yeah twitter and they only put in fifty thousand dollars and they they made 250 million dollars like there, there's always those that come out um but more you know people make a ton of money on, on things that aren't unicorns and 
sooner you learn what every aspect of that deal flow looks like in 360 degrees, um, the better you are. Yeah, you invest in the spirits, right? My entire career has been involved around healthcare. And I, you know, I yeah. want to be able to learn about spirits and yeah. other industries, you know, things like that. I know we're running out of time, but I want to take a step back because you just mentioned that you said the Jump Foundry, what was the? Um, Jump Start Nova. Jump Start. You're saying it was bold for him to start that. Why do you make that comment? Um. So. I get this straight. You could probably, there's, there's, there's an article out there on Marcus Whitney. So when George Floyd, Marcus Whitney worked for Jumpstart Foundry, which is a larger VC firm. Gotcha. Been with them since they're back and had worked in the healthcare venture capital and tech space for a while. And, you know, watched at, by people who don't look like you or I would yeah. get money to, you know, to follow their dreams and pursue their dreams. And whether it was a half-baked idea or a great idea, they were given the opportunity to try to make something out of it. Mm-hmm. Many, some succeed. That's just the world of venture and private equity. Um, well, private equity, you're going to more so succeed, but that's the world of venture mm-hmm. and, and angel. And when George Floyd was killed, I like the week after, maybe two days after, you know, it, it was sitting heavy on everybody's heart and people were For saying, sure. you know, now as a black person, that shit happens all the time. But when the world had stopped and there was no football games to watch and nothing to watch on TV, you kept seeing this, this murder by police. Now, black people are like, y'all been murdering people forever. <laughs> this is the first one where you can't turn away. There's nowhere right. to go. There's nothing to do. You can't go to a birthday party. You can't play tennis. You're sitting in your house and you have to hear that. And the whole world was horrified. And you, you have a bunch of places talking about, we got to do something. I can't believe this. And he did an open letter um, that basically said, you know, I hear everyone saying these cops are racist and we got to be better humans than this. And, and it was basically a letter that said, you know, I've worked in this world. And I've watched you ignore. I live in a healthcare town. Like Nashville is the healthcare capital of this country. And he's like, we've invested in so many companies and you won't even give a second look to, to a company that, that has founders that look like me or they're addressing things in communities that are important to us. And, you know, it, it was a very good letter and he called out long established, you know, players in this, this fund and said, you know, you're talking all that shit right now, mm-hmm. but you've never done shit. You, you, you're mm-hmm. eating the shit you're saying that you want to change now, but you won't do it. You've never done it. Yeah. It was a very scathing letter. It was, you know, he could have been ostracized in the, in his VC community, you know, for calling them out for just basically saying we won't give money to anyone who's black. I don't care how great your idea is. Yeah. I don't like doing it, but I'll give this half-ass idea $3 million to get started. And, and if it fails, it fails, right? Yeah. And man, because there was nothing else happening, it went like wildfire through the community. Yeah. Like, oh shit, did you see what Marcus Whitney said? I yeah. can't believe, you know, like what the fuck? Yeah. And um, out of that, you had people say, you know what, you're right. And 
urged him to start a fund and they and and you had you know entities that would match or put in money in his fund as he raised a 50 50 plus million dollar fund oh wow uh and wanted black investors he's like i don't want it just to be and and so that was an easy one like dude you went out on a limb mm-hmm. now you got to raise this fund right you got people who are willing to put in money you got to hit your targets and your goals you know not to yeah. put details in it yeah, public, yeah. but yeah i was like you know that's an easy yes for me easy i'll i'll i'll, I'll invest in this it, it's a passion thing i like i, I want him to be truly successful because if he's successful that means there are a lot of of minority-owned companies mm-hmm. that, that are going to have a chance to be successful themselves yeah and, and what do you think is the biggest say like uh, a young black owned company what is the hardest part from their raising funds is it is it easy for them to raise funds like in the series a or is it is it just hard overall just raising money extremely fucking difficult yeah. man for them and I'm not saying that to, I don't want anyone to be discouraged and I'm not complaining. We tend to support things that look and feel like us that we, I don't, I don't care what race, what nationality, like if, if you're from France, you tend to want to do things with, with people from France before you're going to want to do something with somebody from England. Right. That's human nature. Um, and the same in this country, when it comes to, if it's race related or even regional related, Southern people want to do business with Southerners. They don't want to do business with New Yorkers, right? They'll give you every reason why I can't trust them. And, you know, Yorkers will be like, oh, they're too slow. It's the good old boy <laughs> network, right? Yeah. And the same comes to race, right? And so there's a disproportionate um, amount of wealth to go around. So if you're a Black startup, mm-hmm. You don't have a ton of black people that you can come to. There's not a lot of people who PayPal and Tesla and 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 SpaceX and where they're going. Oh, man, I got billions of dollars. I'm going to invest another billion in a whole bunch of startups in Silicon Valley. Well, they all look like Elon Musk. He's going to invest in people that look like him right. and that he can relate to. He's not going to invest into a whole bunch of kids that came out of HBCUs. Yeah, right. It's, it's just that's reality. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, raising money is the hardest thing. Now, once you're in it, let, let's remove race. Once you learn how to put your together, once you learn how to put your model together, your thesis, you you have something that someone can look at and say, this is working. Now, I'm not talking about a, just a fucking idea. I mean, it, it's working, but they need capital to move to the next stage. Mm-hmm. If you're good at that, you can get seed, pre-seed and seed money generally. Black doesn't prevent you from that because there are enough people at that level of whatever your funding is. If you're good at what you do, you can convince somebody to invest in you. Right. True data, not, you know, I think I heard about it. Vanderbilt University crunched all the data of all Black startups have had A funding, an A round. That means you're good. Like if you can get to an A done all the right things you have a product or service that is that is moving and it is out there in the space Mm -hmm. right you have a customer base and hate to cut you off it's just i think educationally can you explain our listeners like series a like where is that in their process you're starting a company you have what's what's called angels those are your pre-seed you know 
um, angels are your, your grandmother, your uncle, somebody who believes, <laughs> baby, I believe in you. You're good. <laughs> I'm going to give you a check so you can yeah. get your LLC up. And you, you know, that, yeah, there's that. Pre-seed is where you've put something together. You've gotten your LLC and you have an idea and you go to some people and it's like, look, I'm, I'm going to need, I'm just going to do easy farmer math number. I'm, I'm going to need 5,000, you know, do some logos, whatever it is you're trying Simple to do. Simple overhead costs. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So, and you'll get some people to do that. Seed money is where you're like, okay, we got to expand what we're doing a little bit more. I got to have enough money to pay some rent. You know, because I'm, I'm, I gotta pay my my internet costs. I gotta have real insurance now. You know, there there, there are some overhead costs that are gonna be here. Um, these are fixed costs, and I need runway for a year on this. That's generally probably your seed round, right? Mm-hmm. Now, when you're when you're you're doing that, your seed round. Now you're putting structure to what your investment is gonna be like, like. Mm-hmm. Son of be investing you, they want to return on that. Big mom and them just want you to be successful. Right. 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 But now someone's like, if I'm going to give you money, I want you to be in a position to where I'll get a return on that. Mm-hmm. And the earliest of those stage, again, is pre-seed and seed. Mm-hmm. It's the cheapest for somebody to come in and, and give you money because you don't need a ton. You just need to keep the lights on. And that's a smaller network of people. And you generally know somebody or somebody knows somebody who's willing to gamble on it. If you do that right, you begin to put the company in the, your your business. I won't call it a company. You begin to put your business in the right place. Then you get to a place where you mm-hmm. can actually ask for an A round. Where gotcha. That then requires you to give up some portion of the company yeah. as an investment officially, right? Now, there's a tricky part to A. As an entrepreneur and a founder, you might think you're A ready. And by the time you sit down and talk to real investors that are true institutional investors, they might be like, you're, you're really in a seed round. You're not in an A round. And yeah. they'll have a, you know, a definition of what that means and what their requirements are. Now, A means you're actually in the game. So let me just fast forward. But if you're asking for A round, that means you're legitimate. You've, you have some, 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 some investors behind you. But now you're looking for more savvy investors who like, I don't, I don't give a shit that I'm looking at the business economics of this. And if right. it looks like it works and it can work, I'll make the investment. I'm not going to be no heartstrings in it. I don't care if you're trying to cure left-handed hummingbirds yeah. you know, in the rainforest. Yeah. Like you, you don't have to pitch <laughs> that to me. Will somebody buy this? Will you make money? Which means yeah, exactly. make money, I'll make money. Right. <laughs> so that's all they want to hear. Yeah. Now, they don't require you to be locked tight, but they do require to have some type of vision that they believe can make money. When you get to a B round, it gets harder because now someone's like, I want to see your past performance. When you hear the vision, I want to see what you're doing, but I want to see your past performance. What do those numbers look like? Mm-hmm. Are they tracking and trending in the right way? Right? Do you understand your unit economics? They're going to go, then you'll get your B round. After that, it's all about future growth and scale. C, D, E, all they want to hear mm-hmm. is all of that is taken care of. Can yeah. you go from a $100 million company to a billion dollar company? Yep. If not, you're not going to be ready for a B round. Gotcha. 
give you all of that to say all the investment in post George Floyd and everyone wanting to 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 be supportive or or not be penalized black owned startups right mm-hmm. we're saying look give them a fair shot if they're legitimate you know let's go they don't have to be i'm just saying with black founders you could something that has nothing to do with 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 our culture you just happen to be a black founder it's in right. tech right um there was a huge jump in people who who got a series funding mm-hmm. huge jump yeah. like now mind you it was a huge jump but still less than 2% of all startups in t- were african american were, were were minority wow less than one was black women wow of the hundreds of billions of dollars that that that, that are put out in that you, less than 1% were black women less than 2% were 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 minorities period that's crazy now and that was an increase yeah. And, and I wish I would. I, I got document. I, I got numbers there. I'll share it with you. Listen to this. My closing out 20, 2022 were the numbers when they did this. The drop of all of those people who got A, 92% of them not get B funding. You had an increase of people who got A. Right. Which means you're doing something right. You yeah. have a legitimate company. Yeah, product service. In, yeah. They put mm-hmm. a funding. You've done the other two rounds of funding before that. You yep. are legitimate. You got product and service that is out in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now you need to move it to some the next level of scalability, right? right. You might sit. now you need to go, you know, being a statewide to a regional wide, whatever it is that you do. Or instead of, you know, being on two platforms or four platforms to sell mm-hmm. your product. It now needs to go to 12 platforms and it's going to cost X to do that, right? Your marketing has to increase. Your, these are all investments that have to be made. And you're now saying, I need to raise five to $10 million. I've did with your $3 million investment. I've done all the right things. Everything's yeah. perfect. Now we're at a $10 million investment, right? They can't get to 10. And that's where the drop off is. 92% so. can't get to 10. It's a so if I can't get to a B round, I'm never going to get to an exit. Never, right? Because yeah. generally, an exit can be in a C or a D. Like mm-hmm. if you get to a C or a D, you're just raising money to really scale, and you're you, you're you're going somewhere. But a lot of people, you know, the, by the time you finish your B round, before you do a, C, if you're in t- Facebook or somebody buys you and it's like I'm adding it to my platform now, yeah. I, I, I hundred million dollars, give it here. Ooh, this new Google widget that I have here, you know, yeah. is owned by if you're in tech or if you're in healthcare, you know, large entities like an HCA will go, mm-hmm. I'll take it down. Yeah. Add it to what we do and make it seem like we did it. And it only cost me $250 million, $300 million to do it. Right. But I didn't spend four years doing it myself. Can't get to that exit. You can't complete a B. And that's what's discouraging. So I, man, I was long-winded on answering your question. No, no, fantastic. The hardest thing is money because in order to raise money, this is not a racist thing. In order to raise money at every level, you got to have a network that's <clears throat> always at the next level mm-hmm. of comfort, right? Because the yeah. same people, Big Mama only could give you $500. That's you it. Know, Larry <laughs> could only give you $1,500. Yeah. But 
your you know, seed round, you had a bunch of people write you $5,000 checks. Your A round, a, 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 a fund gave you between $300,000 and $3 million, right? Mm-hmm. They had their deeper pockets than Big Mama had, right? When you go and you need to raise 10 or 15 million, you got to have someone who's now saying, all right, I'm in for 3 million. Last mm-hmm. time I was only in for 100,000, but I'm in for 3 million because I like what you did with 100,000. But you need multiple people that are in for 3 million. Yeah. Uh, and for us, we don't know how to build that network. Mm-hmm. Don't come from a space that, that, that has that. Or the ones that we do, they're tapping out at the $100,000 level, right? They're like, hey, man, you know, I gave you 100. I'm in on the cap table now. Mm-hmm. You can't come back to me. I don't have 3 million give to you and wait another three four years to see mm-hmm. if i get a return on that um so you generally have to go outside of your community and most of those people are like well if i got a choice be- between giving to trey Quarius mm-hmm. or giving to billy ray mm-hmm. who you think they're gonna give their three million to they used to be billy ray yeah like they don't resonate with trey Quarius and and lashonda and like yeah no matter how great your your, your pitch is you got to overcome that. Right. Now the other is, I I I get pitched a lot. I will say, and I think this is one of the reasons why I wanted to do this with you. A lot of people's your your pitch deck is shit. Your idea is shit, right? You mm-hmm. might think it's great, but it's back to what we started the conversation. Not proficient yet. Yep. You think it's your idea. You think it's your passion. But no one told you, man, that deck is horrible. Keep doing it again. Do it over and over and over again until it looks like any other decks. Because by the time you go to a fund and ask them for money, you're going up against visually a whole bunch of people. And if you don't start with visually, you're on the same footing. Mm -hmm. You're getting taught. Then the content that's in there, people will say, look, I don't need it to sound like a a B deck, right? That's more sophisticated. But I want it to be the best sophisticated C deck mm-hmm. there. And if your look, your C deck reads like something Big Mama is okay mm-hmm. with, they're like, you're not even speaking seed language. You're you're yeah. speaking, you know, fam friends and family language. I see that a lot with us. It's like and 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 that's tough, man. That's a lot of hours that you got to put in, a lot of scrapping and starting all over because it might have sounded good to you, but you have three or four people finally read it and they're like, no, nah, this isn't good. And I'm not talking about your friends that say, oh, man, Miles, I like that. I mean, someone that you yeah. can convince, like a me, that would say, I've read enough of these that I can Incredible. look at and throw that shit in the trash yeah. or like, no, this is it. I might say no because I don't like the business opportunity, mm-hmm. but your presentation looks good. The language you're using is spot on. Your numbers are actual real numbers that I can look at and say, okay, they're not fudging this of going, man, if, if we could get 10% of a $50 billion industry, we would be, I was like, okay, really? You really think yeah. <laughs> you get 10% of a $50 yeah. billion dollar industry? Yeah. <laughs> no, you're not going to get 10% of that. Right. Um, if you say, here's our journey, there are certain things to look at and, and, yeah. That is where you spend your time, you know, exercising through that. Like, and and I mentioned it before. You could you could go on YouTube or you could buy, you know, for low monthly subscription, mm-hmm. 
Harvard Business School, Stanford, a whole bunch of schools just got things on startups and venture. And you could mm-hmm. listen to those all day long for yep. two months in a row. And it's the equivalent of actually going to class. And you can say, I'm going to take all of that and perfect this. But most people don't want to spend that time. Yeah, you're right. I think a point that you mentioned is having that network. And I think it kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier, that group of eight people or I think eight people you said, you guys meet on a yearly basis and things like that. It just, all this is all full circle. Um, yeah. It's great. You know, and so network is going to be, and you should just always be building that. Yeah. And, and again, don't mind allowing you to learn from them. Yeah. What they mind is when you're always coming in and asking for something, right? It's like, dude, you just met me. You can't ask me for something. Mm-hmm. But if you're like, I just want to observe, can, can I take you to lunch one day and just pick your brain mm-hmm. and do it once a quarter? You know, they'll let you know one day when they have free time, right? Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, no problem. You know, you don't take them to lunch and go, hey, I want you to invest in my business. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. like, I want you to tell me yep. I need to do things. Because if I do all the steps, I'm proficient at all each and every step. Mm-hmm. Eventually, I'm in a position where opportunities are going to present themselves to me. Yeah. They exactly. just are. Yep. You know? Yep. Next for you, man. 10 years, I guess, from now, what do you want to look back and? I am another that I'm going to start in healthcare this year. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about it just yet. Yeah, that's fair. I don't want to talk about it just yet. Yeah. Um, I'm going to do that. I am. I'm looking to retire in two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just a thing. Um, um, but business, I'm always going to be in, in, in something like I will probably spend however long that I live. I don't know how long that is going to be, but um, I will spend it doing, you know, some real estate investment, uh, obviously, yeah. you know, stock market um i'll keep doing deal flow opportunities that make sense where still in the game a little long-term exit stuff i'm looking for things that are 36 months 24 to 36 month exits right it's basically just flipping your money yeah um that and 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 i'm happy with that like i'm not trying to set the world on fire anymore like yeah hate to say that i think age catches up with you and you're like look (laughs) I've done the best that I'm going to do and I no longer have this desire to, to, to want to rule the world and all that. That's when you're younger. Like you, you got the energy. Yeah. Now I'm like, I want to enjoy what I have. Yeah. Um, I sp- far more of my time and it's not a bad thing investing in people like yourself. And, and I don't mean financially, like, you know, trying to find the time to help younger black people. I'm being very specific, black people, get a jump start that I didn't have in my twenties. Yeah. Thank Before you for that. They're in their thirties. I want them to have all the information that I didn't get till I was in my forties. Right. If yeah. if I can give you a 10 year head start on anything that I have, I want to see that because that's the only way we grow generational wealth in our community. Yeah. For sure. uh, it's the people who have been down the road to be willing to give you the cheat codes. Mm-hmm. You have to be willing to put the work in. Like, yeah. they don't want to give you the cheat codes because you don't want to put the work in. Yeah. It's like, you're willing to put the work in to be very good at what you do. 
I'm going to give you cheat codes so you can run faster and get there sooner than everybody else because you are putting in the work. But I'm not going to give you the cheat code so you can just ease your way up the road. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah. but that is my, my, you know, my next 10 years. It's not about yeah. me. It's about yeah. other people. Like I'm going to be happy every time I see somebody win. Mm-hmm. It looks like you. And if I can just make, you know, it easier for you just to say, miles, I see you running, you're running full speed, but I'm telling you, you're just looking down this street. Yeah. Or turns. You know what? If you don't watch where you're going, you're going to run in a pitfall because there's a huge pothole, but it's two blocks away. You don't see it. I've been around that corner 10 times. That pothole hadn't changed. So you're going to make a slight left when you come around. I'm willing to give you that. I want to give you that because I don't want you to fall in the pothole and then I got to teach you how to get out of it. Yeah. I'd rather you avoid it if you're 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 doing that. Awesome. And I really appreciate that. That's awesome. Cool. Any, uh, any last words of advice before we wrap up and keep, keep, yeah, man, keep doing what you're doing, man. And, and, and don't be afraid. I mean, you've read this, you saw this, but I'm gonna put it into, don't be afraid to be bold. Like if you're afraid, make the next step. That's a good sign. Mm -hmm. That means you're pushing yourself, right? If you're not afraid, it means you already, it's, it's a comfort zone. And success is always on the outside of the comfort zone. It just is. Yeah. I mean, you've read it a million motivation books. I'm telling you from experience. Yeah. Most successful things that you're going to be is, is when you're not comfortable Mm because you'll stay up all night trying to figure it out. You'll work on your personal uh, shortcomings. So you don't have them anymore. So they're not in your way. So be bold Mm -hmm. and you're young. I'm going to say this, and this goes for friends new okay if what you're mm-hmm. if they start to tell you you can't do it or you're dumb or mm-hmm. you're not dumb but you shouldn't do that you're dumb for trying or yeah or anything that's ne- it is okay to marginalize them people in your life right so the one i'm saying you can't keep them. You don't have to hate them, but you gotta, you gotta say, well, we used to hang out and go to Buffalo Wild Wings and watch the game regularly. And every time I tell you what I'm doing, you have something negative to say. I'm telling you right now, that might be your best dog going to have yeah. a big deal. Move that cat to the side and say, I will only see you during holidays. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's okay to do that. It's going to feel crummy. It's going to feel bad. That's just because you haven't met enough people who are going to be on the positive side and you're yeah. not going to meet them because you're going to always pull yourself back to making that asshole feel. And mm-hmm. they're not trying to be an asshole on purpose. They just don't have the same drive or they can't see it or they're too afraid. Mm-hmm. You can't spend your time trying to bring them to your side until you're well accomplished. Yeah. Yep. You, yep. If your glass is only you know, less than half full. You can't be pouring into someone else's glass. You got to yeah. wait till, till you fill your glass. Right. And if they got nothing to help you, time is your most precious commodity. Miles, let me tell right. you, believe it now because you're young. Um, I remember when me and your dad were the kids <laughs> in our family. Remember it like yesterday. I thought everybody else was so old and I had all the time in the world. Now I look back, the people that were my parents, I've lost both my parents now. 
the people that are my parents' age are the oldest. Our family, mm-hmm. generations of brothers and cousins, we're the next to the old. We're <laughs> no longer the kids. Yeah. Like, yeah. we're at the end of the rope. Yeah. Like, in the lifespan of being on this planet. And that's your most precious commodity. Yeah. For whoever's listening, if you're young, treat that like tomorrow truly is the last day you're going to get a shot. And you won't spend your time with someone who's not helping you. You will spend your time trying to find people who think like you, that are driven like you, mm-hmm. that will push you. You guys will sharpen each other. You'll have your ups and downs, but you will sharpen each other. And if it's someone who's not sharpening you, I'm just not going to listen to me, but I'm mm-hmm. telling you guys, those people out of your life as quick as you can. Mm-hmm. What you don't want to look up is be 40. You're in the same place because you're with the people that wanted you to stay in the same place with them. So you guys could feel comfortable hanging out at Applebee's. Yeah. That's what you always did. Gotcha. Awesome. That's great, man. Well, I really appreciate it. I think that's all. 